Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight in Matthew, the 12th chapter, just want to throw this out there that our Awana kids, which make up half of our front row, some of our back row are getting ready to start back to Awana here coming shortly. And so you who have been sitting out singing in the choir, uh, it'll be your chance to fill those slots and to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, I don't watch NBA basketball much anymore due to some political things, but a few years ago I always liked the favorite part was a player by the name of Shaq who no longer plays, but as a commentator he always had a section called Shaqin' a Fool. And it was a week's, if you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about, it was the week's or month's highlights of the worst plays in the NBA. So for instance, somebody would be on a fast break, they'd be dribbled all by themselves, and they'd slip and fall, and the ball would go out of bounds. Someone would go up to dunk, they'd hit the front of the rim, and end up on the floor. And that was my favorite part. And every time I could hear them laughing and going on, because literally it was the top ten of Shaq and a fool. And somebody always made that top spot. And it was usually the same guy, um, uh, McGee was his last name, and, uh, and it was always something he did. And it was so funny, and I would laugh, and I would laugh, and I would think, you know, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. I've done a lot of things I'm thankful that cell phones were not invented or very widely used when I was running around as they are now. But I could always remember uh, a saying that older people would always say, or my parents would say, when you would go out in public, it would say, don't make a fool of yourself. And the way you're shaking your head, you got the same talk, it'll probably have made a fool of yourself at some point. And the title of the sermon tonight is, Don't Make a Fool of Yourself. Don't Make a Fool of Yourself. And as we're going through the book of Matthew, the 12th chapter we're starting tonight, we've been walking through this book, and last time we were together, we looked at how Jesus was telling them that he is rest, and that he could give them rest, real rest. And, and we go from that passage of Scripture, and we started talking about the fact that the Pharisees were no longer just angry with him. They were no longer starting to just plot against Jesus. They were starting to get hostile in their questions and in the things that they were doing. And tonight we see that they went from being angry in their hearts to plotting in their minds and actions to beginning to question Jesus and even to set things up to cause him to stumble. And so tonight I really want you to know that the way that you will make a fool of yourself is by not listening to what God says to you and I. You see, you and I have this wonderful privilege of having the Word of God. And it is given to us, and we have copies of it, and most of us have more copies than we should ever have. And, and we can study it, and we can get on the Internet and, and look at Bible Gateway and Bible Hub and every commentator and, and every opinion and listen to sermons. And, and there's no excuse, but yet... How many times are we guilty of knowing the Word of God, knowing what it says, but then arguing with the author of the text? You say, I don't argue with God, the Bible's always right. Well, many times you don't argue with your mouth, you argue with your actions, right? You say, well, I really don't want that piece of dessert, I've ate so much today, and the waitress like, well, I'll bring it anyway, and if you don't want it, you don't have to eat it. 
Well, you know what happens when that waitress sits that piece of pie down in front of me or cake or homemade ice cream or any kind of dessert? I just leave it there. I just get up and say, you know what? If it wasn't for COVID, somebody else can sit down here and eat it, right? No, it don't matter how full I am or even if I told her, no, thank you, I don't think I need it. When it hits that plate and that plate hits that table, it's like a miracle happens. There was no room, but now there is room. It's like the Lord parts the Red Sea there, and you know, and uh, there's just room. And, and I've, tried to be, I've been trying to eat less dessert. I, I, I promise you I have been, and it's not going well, but I'm trying. And, and I don't mean that I'm not, not going well in the sense that I'm not eating it. I mean, not eating it is not going well for me, but, um, but not making a fool of yourself. And so tonight I want to show you that right as Jesus begins to teach on real rest, the religious hypocrites of the day begin to question him about the Sabbath and what rest is. And I want you to know something. Probably the fooling number one in the Christian faith is arguing about the Sabbath with the individual who created the Sabbath. And so tonight I want to talk to you about don't make a fool of yourself. If you would stand with me out of reverence to the reading of God's word, we're going to read one verse to set the context, and then we'll go verse by verse. Starting in verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Pray with me. Father, tonight I thank you for today. I thank you for what you've done. and I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here today, Lord. And as we have the privilege today, Lord, I do pray for our Christian brothers and sisters all across the world, Lord, especially in the Middle East who are suffering great persecution for, for doing this very thing that we are tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that you give them boldness and protection. And Lord, that they would be faithful to whatever end that you bring it. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we would worship with thanksgiving and, Lord, the deep appreciation for the privilege that you've given us. And so, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today I'm, 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 is it all right if I tell what happened to your daughter today after church? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Well, you never want to steal someone else's thunder today, but, uh, or any time, I guess. But I had the wonderful privilege today of sitting down with Hannah Jones, which is Lucas's oldest daughter, as she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ after church. Amen. Amen. And so... We are thankful for that. Many of you already saw it on social media, things like that. But uh, we're just so thankful that God is still in the saving business. I don't know how many weeks in a row that is that someone's either joined or been baptized or been saved. But it's quite a few weeks. And so we are thankful for what the Lord is doing. But the first thing I want to show you tonight about not making a fool of yourself is this. Be careful of the foolishness of arguing with the one in charge. The foolishness of arguing with the one in charge. I've heard parents say this about their kids, that there's usually one kid that will argue with them just for the sake of arguing. And I've met people that I worked with in the past, and I'd say, why are you arguing? You're wrong. And, you say, and they would say, I know I'm wrong, but I'm not going to admit to them that I'm wrong. And so I'm just going to keep arguing and keep arguing. Next time you get pulled over for speeding, and you shouldn't get pulled over in the first time, you just tell that officer that, I don't think I'll take my ticket. I don't think I have to listen to you. 
and see how well that works out for you. Right? Because you are trying to argue with the one in charge. When you go to pay that ticket for not only speeding and resisting arrest and whatever other uh, foolishness that you get involved in, you tell the judge that I don't think I'll pay this ticket. I don't think I'll serve this fine. I don't think I'll listen to what you've got to say because you're just in charge. Well, those are two examples that make us look and go, what is wrong with you, Jake? But what happens here is the Pharisees are trying to argue with God in the flesh. The God who is in charge of everything. The Bible says that Jesus was, was the one who everything was made through. And it's the reason that our universe and everything stays together. is because of Him. He's the one who hung the stars in the sky. He's the one that set the days to be morning and evening. He's the one who worked and moved for six days and then on the seventh, what? Rested. He is the one who created the Sabbath. And here he is with some religious, self-centered, prideful people who want to argue with the Son of God about what? The Sabbath. And So let's look here in verses 1 through 8 tonight about the foolishness of arguing with the one in charge. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and begun to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Now he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so his disciples are, are hungry. And, and Deuteronomy says that it's not stealing or it's not theft in the Bible. If someone's walking along in a field and, and takes a handful and, 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 uh, and works it out and it just has something to eat. It's not stealing in the Old Testament according to the book of Deuteronomy. But yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious hypocrites of the day had added so many laws to the Ten Commandments and so many interpretations and so many ways of doing things that, that you were not allowed to do anything hardly on the Sabbath. And so these individuals have just heard Jesus talk about real rest. That He is the place where you and I go for real rest. And as they're walking with him, most likely they're walking with him for one purpose because of their hatred for him. And they know it's the Sabbath. And they know that God is in the business of doing miracles. And they know that God is in the business of doing amazing things. And so if we are going with him on the Sabbath, we will have a lot of witnesses to see him doing something that he shouldn't. Did you notice that it doesn't say that he took from the field and made it? But he's, they're talking about the disciples because if you are aware of this, anyone that you are connected, if they do something that someone thinks is wrong, guess who they complain to? The person that is above them, right? If somebody has a problem, 
with 10 Mile Baptist Church, they usually don't call the person who comes every other Christmas and Easter and say, I've got a complaint about your church. You know who they usually call? The office. Thank the Lord for that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But then it filters up. Why? Because it's synonymous with this is the guy that's uh, in charge, but they don't understand that Baptist churches, the pastor isn't in charge, but that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. And yet, that's this idea. And so Jesus didn't even break this rule that they had, but yet they were pointing the finger at him because these were his disciples. He had trained them. He had taught them. He had failed them in their opinion. But yet we see here that these men, these religious leaders of the day, had got a, such a hatred for Jesus and a, such a hatred for the, for the things that God was doing that they were willing to do whatever it took to come after Jesus. And tonight, friends, you say, Jake, that is so dumb, arguing with the Lord of the Sabbath about the Sabbath. But it is the same thing when Jacob Gray reads the Word of God that says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And in my heart I say, I really just still don't want to forgive, right? Or when the Bible says that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, but yet the flesh in me says, I know that's what it says, but Lord, if you would just give me a 24-hour window where I could do what I want to my enemies, I would really appreciate that. I'm doing the same thing. When the Bible tells me to love my wife like Christ loves the church, but yet I look at her sometimes and I think, Oh, man, I'm so blessed to have her. There's never a moment that that doesn't go through my mind. No, when I'm selfish or I'm prideful or I'm arrogant or I don't get what I want. It's the same way. And so today, before you and I think that we don't do that and we don't argue with God, we don't argue with the creator of everything, friends, that's what happens when I decide that God is wrong and I am right. It's foolishness. And so tonight, wherever you're at in your walk with God, whether you're really just diving into your faith and you're really growing in your faith and you're really seeking the Lord's face, if God says it, believe it. If God instructs it, do it. If God warns it, stay away from it. If you've been saved a long time, like many of you have here on Sunday nights, this is probably the most dangerous to you. Because the longer you and I are saved, we usually make excuses. Right, well, you know what, I've had this struggle for so many years. Or this is the way that we've always done it. Or this is the way that I think it ought to be done. And what happens is we begin to place ourselves in charge of policing what everyone else is doing, what the church is doing, when really I want you to look up here today, the only authority that this guy has and the only authority that you have to come and be a part of this church is right here in this book. If this book doesn't say it, you are best, and I am best, to probably keep our mouths shut. But do we do a good job of that? Oh, I sure do. I'm telling you what. No, I don't, right? I got an opinion about everything, about anyone, about anything you want to ask me. I, if I don't know it, I'll Google it, all right? And uh, that's the way it goes. But yet, we need to get back to believing that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. There are no mistakes in it. There are no errors in it. If it says to jump, I ought to say how high. If it says to forgive, I ought to say how many people. If it says to love my enemies, I ought to say, Lord, how many enemies do I have? 
If it says I ought to go to my brother who has got a problem with me, I ought to go to my brother that's got a problem with me. If it says I ought to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, I ought to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Every problem that a Christian has, every problem that you see in the world today is because people have looked at this book and the author of this book and said, yes, God, you might be real, or yes, God, you are real, but when it speaks about this, I have my own way of doing things. And friends, the church is no exception. We all get in that mindset. But just a few things that we're seeing here. He talks about in the Bible and other places that there are exceptions to the restrictions on the Sabbath in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, Jesus references this idea about when David went in and ate the showbread that was restricted to the priest. And so the Bible says, even in the Old Testament, that when human needs were involved, that it was okay to work on the Sabbath. If, if you had to provide food for your family, God understood. If, if there was someone that was, <coughs> excuse me, that needed something in a dire strait, it was okay. And you say, Jake, what do you believe about the Sabbath? I believe that the Sabbath in the Old Testament was from Friday night at sunset to Saturday night at sunset. You say, well, why do we worship on Sunday? I believe that the Lord rose on Sunday, that the New Testament church met on Sunday, and that Sunday is the day of worship that you and I should worship. I believe that the Bible teaches us that it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not uh, repeated in the New Testament. And so I think you should take a day of rest. I think you should take a day of worship. But I also think that we have to be very careful not to become the Pharisees that become so legalistic that you can't mow your yard on Saturday night at 5 o'clock. You say, well, Jake, that's not the Sabbath. Yes, it is. You say, well, Jake, you shouldn't mow at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Well, I won't disagree with that. But you better be careful when you tell someone the Bible says you can't mow at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And so I just want to be very careful tonight to tell you that you need rest and that God wants you to rest and that God wants you to worship and that God wants you to manage your schedule and balance all those things. And I know I'm the world's biggest hypocrite telling you all that, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But tonight we ought to look at Sunday as a day to worship. It ought to be as a day to celebrate. It ought to be a day that if we can keep from working unless there's a need, then that's what we should do. But the big thing is there's foolishness in arguing with the one in charge. You say, well, Jake, I don't, I don't want to come to church and do anything. I'll just come and listen, right? I don't want to work in the nursery because it's work on Sunday. I don't want to work upstairs because it's work on Sunday. I, I don't want to help someone change a tire and work on, on Sunday. But yet, listen to what the book of Numbers says in the 28th chapter, verses 9 through 10. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour as the grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. He's saying it's okay to prepare the elements for worship. It's okay to come in and practice the songs before we sing. It's okay to, to teach and prepare your Sunday school class on Sunday because the, the Sabbath in the Jewish day, in the Maccabee Revolution and the wars, the very beginning of that, the Jewish people were so legalistic about the Sabbath that they wouldn't even fight on the Sabbath. And so their enemy were killing armies by the thousands and they realize something that our enemies will kill us on Sunday, just like they will Saturday, just like they will on Friday, just like they will on Monday. But that's how legalistic 
it had become. But yet, the Bible even teaches in the Old Testament when human needs or worship is involved, that it is okay. Second thing I want to show you tonight is not only the foolishness of arguing with the one in charge, but the foolishness of trying to trick someone who knows everything. Don't miss that. The foolishness of trying to trick someone who knows everything. Now, if you are a parent or a grandparent, there's probably been a time in your life when either a small child or a large child thought you were the dumbest person in the world. Right? They've probably told you a lie thinking that you wouldn't know. I don't know how many times I think I told my parents, well, of course I don't smoke. Little did I know that when you smoke, you don't smell it, but who does? Everybody else. Right? I thought I was really cool. I'd take up that uh, cup holder in my old pickup truck in that secret little compartment and put them down in there and put that, put that thing right back down. Little did I know they knew that same trick too. They knew it came up. Right? I thought I was cool. I thought I was slick. I thought I was a smart man. My parents were just very gracious to someone that wasn't very smart. How many times do your little kids, I don't know how many times we've watched our kids push one or do something to the other one, and what happened? I don't know. Here recently, I, it's, there were families here from church that witnessed this, and so I get, I get to the, the Dairy Queen, and, and one of my kids is crying, and I, I'm not sure if Jennifer said it or my wife, but one of our kids had bit the other kid in the face. And so I did what all good parents should do. I opened that door that goes out to the little caged-in area at the Dairy Queen and proceeded to beat my child. All right? I come inside to the Dairy Queen, and the other one is smiling that got bit because that one went out there. And so this is a true statement. And I took the one that got bit, and I took her out the front door. Right? She was just so happy because she bit me, and she got spanked. Well... I don't know what was wrong with them kids, but they're like their mother. And so, no, she's not in here, I can say that. But, right, in those moments, they thought they could get away with it. They thought that we wouldn't know everything. There's 37 adults, 52 kids, and we're all sitting in two booths. I mean, you can't get away with nothing sitting there. But that's how we are. And I want you to see this tonight because these people thought they could trick the one who knows everything. Look what it says in verses 9 through 14 tonight now when he had departed from there he went into their synagogue and behold there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying is it lawful to heal on the sabbath that they might accuse him then he said to them what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out, of how much more value than is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. I don't want you to miss this. I don't know if the Pharisees put this man in the synagogue. Or he was there and they saw the opportunity. We don't know for sure. Most scholars feel that he was put there on purpose to get Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath. And the moment that they heal, this man is healed. They don't celebrate. They don't clap and shout because God has done a miraculous event. 
Just imagine if a crippled person had come in here this Sunday and said, I have never walked in my entire life and I'm in my wheelchair and I'm on my crutches and I want you to anoint me and pray for me and I want to be healed. And right here before all of you, as God is our witness and you are a witness, that that person was healed. Right on television, it's usually fake. But you saw it with your own eyes. You knew this person their whole life. You went to kindergarten with them as they couldn't get into school because of the steps. You've known this person and you witnessed it. I'm sure the first thing you would say is, what's wrong with that church? Can you believe they prayed for that man to be healed and he was healed? Why would he heal them on a Sunday morning during church? No, I'm telling you what. If you don't celebrate, there's a problem. Just like tonight when I shared about Miss Hannah, if there ever becomes a time in this church when you stop celebrating God saving sinners, you might as well stop coming. That's all right. Four of you agree. That's okay. Lots of dead churches everywhere. You can fill them up. But I'm telling you tonight, but their heart was so twisted by the sin that they wouldn't deal with, as you heard someone talk on Sunday morning here recently. King Saul, right? Started in his heart. Then it went to his mind and his mouth. And then it went to his actions. And then it went to his family. Then it went to treachery and flattery. And what we're seeing with the Pharisees is the exact same thing. But they're trying to trick the one who knows everything. And friends, in your walk tonight with the Lord, you might be saying, I've got everybody else fooled. There ain't nobody else knows about my sin. There ain't nobody else that knows about my hidden problems. There's no one else that knows about my baggage. I want you to look up here for, for just a moment. God knows. You cannot fool him. You cannot trick him. And one of these days when you stand before God on the day of judgment, everything will be revealed. Every idle word will be accounted for. Everything done in the body will be accounted for. That is why tonight, if you are not saved, you have too many sins to answer for on the day of judgment. You say, Jake, I'm going to do a whole lot of good things to outweigh the bad. It is not possible. That is why we believe that unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, unless you are born again, you are lost. And as long as God allows me the privilege to stand behind this desk and preach that to you, it will always be that message that you cannot get to heaven any other way other than Jesus. And I know I've sang this song and Janice tried to get me to sing it today at Heritage Woods, but I'm not going to sing it tonight. But right, you can't get to heaven and all those different things, the preacher's cars, the skis, the, all those different things. You can't get to heaven any way other than Jesus because your sins are too big. And they are too many. That's why the Bible says that when Jesus saved us, there is a fount, as the old song says, filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, when they take their plunge, they are made what? White as snow. That's a good song we ought to sing sometime coming up. But why? Because your sin is only coverable by Jesus. He is the only one who can wash it white as snow. And these Pharisees thought, we'll get this man and we'll catch Jesus healing someone and the people will revolt. The people will hate him. The people will view the same way that we do. 
But what Jesus says is, this man is so much more valuable than an animal. And so while I don't think you ought to abuse animals, animals and people are not on the same level of importance with the Lord. Right? People are the ones that Jesus died for. People matter to God because they are created in His image. And Hosea 6 says it like this, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God wants us to be a church that extends mercy and grace to hurting and broken people. You see, in this day and time, the Jewish people had gotten so strict that unless your wound was going to kill you, they would not treat it till the Sabbath was over. And some sects of the Jewish religion would not even save your life on the Sabbath if you were bleeding to death because it was work on the Sabbath. But yet Jesus says, in what way possible is it not okay to heal and to help and to give hope on one day a week? And so tonight, these people were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to fool Jesus. But yet tonight, friends, you and I need to know something, that God cannot be fooled and God cannot be tricked. But I want to close tonight with this third and final point. We see that they've tried to trick him. We see they've tried to fool him. But real ministry, real life-changing gospel ministry is about helping people and not hurting the people that God sends. Can you imagine today, and I'll tell you this, every time a child that's Hannah's age or younger comes to talk to me about salvation, I always ask them this question. What would you say if I told you today that you couldn't get saved or that you're not ready to get saved. And you say, why would you say that? Because I want to hear that child say, I'm going to get saved. I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. Because if I can talk them out of it, someone else can talk them into it. And friends, these kids need to have a faith that is not based on mom wants it, on dad wants it, on grandma wants it, on the youth teacher pushed them that way, they need to know that they have made a decision to repent of their sins and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And usually after they've prayed that prayer and they say, I'd like to be baptized, I say, well, what if I told you that I won't baptize you? You say, gee, many Christmas, Jake, you're warping our kids. I'm telling you, because I want them to say, well, I'm getting baptized, preacher, whether you want me to or not. Because why? It's got to be their decision to repent of their sins. And it's got to be their decision to follow Jesus. And if I can talk them out of it, friends, it's not real. You say, well, Jake, that's not fair. You're the preacher. Their parents are in there. It's not like I took them into a closet by themselves. Their parents have been talking to them and explaining to them. But why? We want children and adults and old people to know that their relationship with Jesus is not something they always have to question, always something they have to doubt, that they can know. I remember when I gave my heart and life to Jesus. I remember when I repented of my sins. I remember when that overwet preacher said, what if I won't let you get saved today? And I told him, I'm getting saved because God called me and God's saving me and you can't stop me, amen? Amen. I'm not mean about it. Please don't think that I'm, you know, I'm not that exciting in there. But I think that's so important for people because so many people
have felt that, right? That, well, I don't know if I was ready. And I think that I did it because of my mom. Or I think I did it because of the pastor. And friends, we don't ever want to discourage people from being saved. But we never want people to think they're saved and die and go to hell. And so real ministry is about helping and not hurting the people that God sends. And so listen here in verse 15 as Jesus responds to their trickery and to their foolishness. In verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from hence. And great, oh, I'm reading the King James Version. I better read the New King James Version for you. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory and in his name Gentiles will trust. It's a quote from the Old Testament about Jesus, that he's not going to stand up there and argue and fight and shout and disagree with the Pharisees. When Jesus saw that they were trying to attack him, when they saw he saw they were trying to trick him, when he saw they were trying to sneak around and cause him to stumble, he did what most of us should probably do. He stepped back. Jesus could have stood up and say, listen here, I instituted the Sabbath. <laughs> I am the one who sets the rules. I am the one that can heal the sick. I'm the one that can give sight to the blind. But he didn't. I want to say this tonight. Just because you can say it. Just because you can do it. Just because you think you're right to do it. Doesn't mean you should what? Do it. Sometimes it's best to step back. You see Jesus still ministered to the hurting people. Away from the synagogue. You see, God can work in a field. God can work in a church building. Or God can work in the middle of nowhere. And what he does, he steps back. And he begins to heal. But he tells them, don't worry about boasting about it. Don't, don't worry about telling anybody. Right? Because he is working and doing the ministry. And it's not about his recognition. But he was doing real ministry to help people. And so tonight I want to challenge you in your walk with the Lord. How many broken relationships and how many difficult moments could you and I avoid if even though the other person is trying to trick us, the other person is trying to attack us, if we would just step back and say nothing? How many relationships could be restored? How many churches could keep from splitting? How many difficulties could things happen when once in a while, just because we have every right to or we have every ability to, that we just step back and say, we're going to do what God wants us to do, but we're not going to do it right there. You see, most of us feel like if it should be said and it ought to be said, I'm going to say it. But Jesus had every right, every authority, every reason to just keep pushing forward, but he knew something. That God had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. And it was not 
to quarrel and to fight and to disagree and to argue because why? Friends, when people have made up their minds, unless the Spirit of God changes it, you can't. I don't know how many times I have been guilty of spending hours trying to convince someone to think the same way I do. Get up, no change. They sit down with someone else, and five minutes later they're like, oh, that makes sense. And most of you are thinking, I'm a parent, I know exactly what that feels like, right? Listen, listen, do this, do this. Grandpa or grandma says, hey, would you do this? Oh, well, of course. Or you tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them they go to school, and you're like, listen to what my teacher said, and I'm going, yeah? Because that's a terrible idea is what you told me. Oh, no, they're a whole lot smarter than you, Dad. But friends, in your walk with the Lord, you need to trust that God will use you, that God will work in your life. But make sure that the ministry that you are doing is about helping and bringing people to the gospel and not hurting and driving people away. Because what it says about Jesus here was that he was a lamb led to the slaughter, that he didn't even break anything, that he didn't quarrel, that he didn't, why? Because the plan was always for Jesus to what? Go to the cross, to die for your sins and for mine. And so tonight, if you're here and you're arguing with God about what his word says, friends, you're trying to be foolish and argue with the one who's in control. If you're here tonight and you're trying to trick yourself or others or God into thinking something about you that's not true, friends, you're trying to trick the one who knows everything. And tonight I want you to think about your life and your ministry and say, is it really making a difference in the lives of people? Or is my attitude and my thought process and what I do driving people farther from the Lord? Because tonight if you can avoid those first two, and do the third, you are not going to make a fool of yourself. You will be used by God for his purposes. And so tonight, pray with me as Jamie and Janice come. Father, we thank you so very, very much for your word tonight. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to open it and to share from it with this group of people. But Lord, I especially pray tonight for the individuals in this room that are not saved. Lord, I pray that whether they are young or old, tonight, Lord, that you are convicting them of their sin. Lord, that you are showing them that they need you. Lord, that there is no one else that can save them, that can forgive them, that can bring them hope, but that you have made a way through your death, burial, and resurrection. Father, I pray for that saved person that's here tonight, Lord, that's never told anybody or they've never taking that next step to follow you in baptism. Maybe they're here tonight saying, I'm saved and I don't want to be baptized, but I know that's what the Bible says and I want to be. Maybe tonight, Lord, they're here and there's hidden struggles and hidden pain and hidden sin. And tonight they've tricked everyone else into thinking that they're fine. But yet, Lord, you know they're hurting and broken. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us evaluate our lives, our speech, and our ministries that you have given us to really see, Lord, are we helping the hurting? Are we reaching the broken? 
or Lord, are we too busy getting what we want? So Lord, I pray tonight that your spirit would do amazing things in this place. Not for our sake, not for our glory, Lord, but that you get all the glory and honor. And so, Father, I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.